Hello, welcome to What We've Learned, episode 11. It's Steve here, and I'm delighted to say it's not just Steve, it's Steve and Shane. Shane, welcome back in the person. We missed you last week. Thank you very much. Well, so we missed you. We still had you talking to Robert, um, but you were pre-recorded because you were very busy uh, co-chairing B2B Ignite USA, is that right? Absolutely. It should have been a physical event. And the wonderful team at B2B Marketing managed in a very short period of time to pivot it to be a virtual event. Um, and I was moderating the ABM stream, uh, which was great fun, hard work being on USA hours um, and late nights, but really cool. interesting topics. Great speakers. But but less jet lag, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you've recovered. How's your week been? Um, I've recovered, yes, and reflecting back, I think really interesting week, one of the big topics that came out of the conference and also in the UK on some of the forums that I've been um, sitting on and chairing on, seems to be a bit of an existential crisis amongst marketers at the moment, Steve. Mm. Um, a bit of navel-gazing in terms of, you know, what's our value? Who are we? What are we doing, particularly with all our challenges? And I thought this would be interesting to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, interesting. Okay. I mean, it doesn't feel like a necessarily a new, but maybe uh, navel-gazing or a crisis on uh, what, what are we, what's our value isn't new, but uh, perhaps more focused right now. So why do you think there is this increased sort of lens of really re-examining the function and our role? Well, I, I guess with the with the lens of what we've been doing at Junction, the clients that we work with, and, and also with my tutoring, my teaching hat on, you get a, a, a nice cross-section. Um, I would hazard a guess, perhaps, Shane, that, that some of it may have stemmed from the, the almost the immediate breaks that needed to go on to business as usual marketing. So you, you've all, we've already used the word pivot in this podcast. I'm sure we'll use it again, like most conversations. So I think B2B, particularly marketing that tends to be about generating opportunity for sales, which is a lot of the, the markets that we operate in. Um, that's not ground to a complete halt, but it had stalled because it wasn't appropriate or it wasn't practical to do so, whatever the reasoning. So I think that may have been one of the driving forces is crumbs. This isn't what we're used to, the comfort blanket of doing demand generation campaigns, events, the traditional marketing, I think may well have just given us a bit of a confidence crisis on what is the right thing to do. I think that's really interesting. And I think that's absolutely true, particularly for those marketers that I've been talking to preparing 2021 budgets and that all of those unknowns that need dealing with and saying, well, what's our strategy is, you know, we come out of this. So how, how do you think the function of marketing has changed because of this? And maybe even more interesting, will change more and why going forwards? Mm, yeah, I, I can only, again, hazard a, a, a guess. I think the, the acceleration to digital, of course, and this goes far broader than just marketing, has our hand has been forced to think about how do we run things far more digitally focused strategically and tactically so again junction towers here we're really busy with a lot of clients who have had the the events rug pulled from under them if you will so where they had the comfort of rightly or wrongly trade shows exhibitions in-person events that they're running or others are running that they're attending they've been maneuvering into trying to trying to avoid the word pivot shame but i'm gonna to have to say it again they've been pivoting <laughs> into 
digital. So we're creating a lot of um, interactive digital content. So selector tools, um, motion graphics, and this is a really important point actually, motion graphics versus animation, because motion graphics is a much more rapid to deploy technique than animation, which means it's quicker and cheaper. So ways that can create interactivity. So I think the traditional things, channels we're used to in marketing, um, we've had to move to digital. A bit, the bit I really don't know the answer to Shane, but I'm hoping some of it will stick, is that when we do go back to some kind of normality, i.e. we can go out and about as, as brands, will we just flock straight back to those traditional uh, um, events, for example, or will that digital stick? So is it a digital sticking plaster or is it has, has it been a digital transformation is the question I'm interested in. I think that's a really interesting question and I, I hope not um, because I think that would be a great shame and not to learn some of the lessons that we are learning. But I think it's also interesting to me that I've always seen marketing's role as much wider than demand gen and providing leads to sales teams but sadly that is often in b2b marketing as you say uh the core function that it's um labeled with and landed with and actually what's very interesting to me is there's a really deep reflection going on within some clients about the wider value of marketing and it in its true sense are you seeing any of that yeah, it's a really good point, Shane, because um, the other side of having to make very rapid changes is marketing departments and the marketing technology that they've got at their disposal has been needed by a lot of other parts of the business. So the, the best practice disciplines that marketeers have got on when to send a message to people, for example, so sending time optimization, the right kind of um, message, the right kind of creative, even down to the basics of when does this email with what subject line go out of the door? Brands have needed that for all sorts of communications. So employee in communications, servicing and support messages, changes of, of operating hours, all sorts of different things. So I think this has actually given marketing, rather than navel gazing in a crisis confidence, is an opportunity to show the broader skills to exactly your point that marketing functions have got. And probably back to that technology piece, it may well have helped justify marketing technology purchases that weren't be fully utilized in the past because suddenly they can be used for a lot more communication across a lot more parts of the business. I think that's a great point and I would agree with that. I've seen uh, it being picked up for internal comms, um, being able to reach out for use, you know, the likes of marketing automation or email systems to reach employees. But I think what I've also seen a real shift of emphasis to oh my goodness you know it's all about our customers and our existing customers not just getting new ones and actually we should be being a lot smarter with what we're doing with them and what do they need because actually they're the ones who are spending money with us at the moment and probably will get us through this so that's where I'm really excited because I know like you I feel that the tech hasn't necessarily been well deployed up to this point to improve the customer experience. So that's the bit I'm super excited about. And I hope we'll see more of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And literally the customer experience, um, we get pre-obsessed pre with the, the, the prospect experience, if you will, because we are often in marketing driven to just keep generating sales opportunity. So rather than it just being... Um, a, a phrase it's the idea that we can use this technology to as you say keep the people we've already got a relationship with 
And in fact, for, for some of the clients that I'm working with, for brands that I've learned um, what they're doing over the last few weeks by teaching, i.e. working with them from a teaching point of view, it isn't just about keeping They're, the up and cross sell opportunities there as well if it's done properly. So as you say, it's not just keep what you've got, you can't prospect, uh, it's keep what you've got and maybe your incremental revenues are coming from those existing pots if you're clever with how you, as I say, you create the right up and cross sell environment. Absolutely. And I, I would concur with that. And in fact, I had a com- very interesting conversation with a brand I can't name, but it's a global brand about the realisation that actually perhaps they needed to revisit their, their brand purpose and what they stood for because they got some amazing sort of subsidiary services, which just really weren't clear within their current brand positioning and actually really looking hard at that and saying, but we want to be known for so much more and how can we communicate that? So I think, you know, the tr- all of these true skills that lie within the marketing function um, from using, deploying the technology through to, you know, huge step back strategy. What is it? Who's going to buy this? How are we going to do it? Is our brand fit for purpose? All of those things. Mm. Yeah, it's funny enough, actually, and it, to, to, to play one-upmanship with you, I'm also working with a global brand that I can't name. Um, but this is a consumer brand um, from a very, from a particular market and moving into a completely different space for lots of different reasons. And they're having to entirely rethink um, themselves and even down to the level of, hence I'm helping out from a CRM strategy point of view. Uh, they've had restrictions in their markets in the past that means they can't do CRM. Now they need to, but they now need to think effectively like a consumer technology technology brand rather than the markets they're from which are vastly different to that so yeah it's the kind of mega pivot of all pivots so far for me you're just going for the bingo pivot today i don't want to know what it <laughs> yeah. is you know sorry you're... about that i'm three pivots <laughs> and i'm out they're definitely <laughs> let's go from one p to another yeah let's talk about phil who you've had the the fortune of spending some time with earlier today I have. And that's, uh, yeah, this morning caught up with Phil Gosney, who's head of global marketing and product management for Merce Drilling. And really pleased to have a chat with him about his experience, because as you'll find out, Phil didn't start in a normal sort of traditional marketing entry career, um, but brings, I think, a real value from his outside in perspective of how he's set up and is running Merce Drilling Marketing. So um, yeah, looking forward to uh, this one. Yeah, fab. Well, let's, um, let's get you and Phil into the conversation then, Shane. Hi, and morning, Phil. Um, great to be talking to you. And thank you very much. I, I understand this is your, your debut podcast. It is. And uh, it's a pleasure pleasure to give it a try so uh, I hope I've got something worth listening to otherwise you'll have to delete it (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you're going to have lots to share and the reason I'm for inviting you on you're very honest in terms of um, if you like your career and where you've got to and I think you described yourself to me when we first met as a a non-marketeer so I think it'd be really interesting just to, to find out um, and talk to everybody about um, how your career has resulted in, uh, in effect, today being head of global marketing and product management at Merce Drilling. Because it wasn't wasn't your traditional start, perhaps, Phil. No, I think that that's that's right, Shane. And um, I'm fairly open in saying that I am a I'm a rare head of marketing with no marketing experience. And I think that's 
that's a little bit credit to to Maersk where I work uh, and, and and their courage to put people into positions where they believe we can learn on the job uh, using our experience of the business as well so I think um, I'm 18 months in uh, marketing is a fantastic uh, place to be uh, setting up that team and, and establishing it for the first time in mass drilling has been a challenge but for sure it's uh, it comes with great challenges when you start in a start in a new world but it also comes with some opportunities I think to really question what what the value of marketing is and why are we doing this uh, for for mass drilling fabulous and so in terms of you know where you did start it wasn't in marketing but where, where did you start so I, I actually started in the city of London as a as a lawyer. So I worked in the city for four or five years, uh, one of the larger Magic Circle firms doing fraud investigations before. Um, as you know, Shane, I live in Denmark now and have done for, for 10 years. So uh, I fell for their international recruitment campaign, uh, which was uh, a Danish lady. So I moved over to, to Copenhagen 10 or 11 years ago now, worked as a lawyer and then um, I guess started in, in to, to branch out from there, moving on to the commercial side of the business and setting up various teams, uh, looking for opportunities in the business to, to really drive more value. Uh, and I guess that's where marketing came in because when I started to look into marketing, that's where I realized that once again, we were, we were not using the full spectrum of possibilities by not having a marketing focus in mass drilling. So, I asked to start that up uh, and did so around 18 months, two years ago now. I think that's really interesting. I don't think there's many people who can have started marketing by fraud investigation, I think. Uh, but obviously that sort of forensic and, as you say, deep dive and being able to see the whole picture must be quite an advantage. And you've mentioned, you know, you've literally built the marketing team as a function um, at Merce Drilling from scratch with a blank piece of paper. Um, you know, what does the marketing function look like today at Merce Drilling? Right now we are me, uh, three people doing what I would say is, is traditional marketing. So, so really driving our core business uh, towards customers, uh, supporting the business that way. And then two more people who are working on new products, uh, which is another thing that has kind of really come under my wing the last, the last years we've, we've We've changed strategy and decided to branch out a little bit more from traditional drilling rig offerings. Um, and I, I think product product marketing, product management, that that's another experiment and another opportunity that I think Mass Drilling has. And, and again, credit to the business if I'm allowed to dig where I where I think there might be gold. And uh, we, we've we've researched it and look into it and now set up a team to to focus on that. I'm not sure you're allowed to use digging analogies, Phil, when we're, when you work for a drilling company. No, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, interesting about you saying about new products, because one of the things that's happening in marketing, there's quite a big debate going on about whether um, product development, um, product marketing, you know, sits within the marketing function. And increasingly, I'm seeing, particularly in large enterprise and big tech companies, it almost being completely separate. Um, and what, what's the reason is sort of for you doing this within Merce Drilling? Is it, is it a diversification board strategy or? 
I think, yes, in one respect, why are we trying to develop more products? That's a response to our market, which is, is heavily challenged. Uh, and once you've decided to, to do more on the product side, then you, as you say, need to decide where should it sit. Um, and I, I would argue strongly that, that the reason for launching a product is to get value from it. And, and who knows most about customer value and, and where where a product may do well, that tends to be in the marketing and commercial function. So um, that's where it sits for us. Uh, and I think that that really drives the initial question for a product, which is why are we doing this and what is the value for a customer? Uh, uh, and I think uh, I've at least seen a few few examples along the way where that question has been asked far too late. Um, uh, and, and it can be expensive to develop a product which uh, which isn't suitable for the market and where customers don't pull it. Um, so I, I would really argue strongly for for a commercial angle to be there very early on. And, and, and in this case, for mass drilling, we're lucky enough to, to drive that as well. I think that's fascinating because I think particularly, you know, there was a sense of particularly again back to the tech market, you know, we we will build it and they will come. And I suspect those days may be over, um, particularly with the current challenges with us. And I love the lens you put on it, you know, who better than marketing to understand what customers need and want um, and in challenging markets to to build things for them. And um, what else do you think the skills that marketing bring to an organization? What were the commercial skills that you don't tend to find in other departments that you've worked in? Uh, I think that's a, a great question, Shane, and it's one that I think my jaw dropped and my eyes kind of sprung open 18 months ago when I started to dig into this because um, I first got interested when I heard the data insights that were possible from, from modern marketing uh, technologies and the way they can be applied, and, and that led me to to look further into it. So I think the the, the ability to gather digital insights um, for me is something that our business has not deployed in the past and, and which we're now getting our, our arms around and starting to use. Um, we have a very small number of customers, so so any insight that I can get uh, and provide to our frontline sales organization that uh, a certain person has looked at a certain document at a certain time uh, on various channels is is really gold dust for our um, for our sales organization. And, and as you know as well, uh, we've done some deep research into certain customers for the first time uh, using ABM methodologies, and, and that has paid paid huge dividends both on the frontline sales, but also with regard to our executives using that research and being much more prepared for the conversations with people they meet. So I think analytics, research, uh, and and real deep customer focus are, are some of the skills that, that spring to mind. I think that's really interesting for me because I think when that's how we met was obviously the whole yeah. uh, project around account-based marketing. And I, I think the thing that struck me and really stood out was that that you you saw perhaps even more clearly than those of us who, who are close and have been working with it for a long time, that power of that deep research, as you say, into a very small number of customers in your uh, industry. and and relished the sharing with the rest of the organization of that deep insight. What, what's the reaction to being sharing some of that stakeholder insight? 
a fairly short chain uh, words like words from our chief executive officer like wow <laughs> or, or, or from our chief operating officer I think he, he just wrote back awesome and a smiley face um, so I think they they don't it's it's also a transformation of what marketing means right and and I was as naive as as, as many others in our business as what marketing can do uh, and it's been my job to first look into it uh, secondly take out the bits from marketing that can really give value for for our business but thirdly then to to show them to communicate that to actually get the value from it in the, in the end um, and I think that some of the research pieces and, and the deep the, the deep insights you can get, they're the things that make people say, whoa, I, I didn't know that was possible. I didn't know that's what marketing actually did. Um, the stuff that takes time, of course, is building content from scratch, uh, which we've also been doing. And, and that actually tends to get less of a wow effect, but it's kind of the price you pay. You need to push something out in order to get an insight back. So um, I tend to get most reactions on the insights, uh, and that's what I carry around with me uh, and my team carry around with them uh, as we move through the business is, is two or three of these examples that make people understand what, what marketing actually is. That makes me so happy. You've no idea because actually, um, as a data-led marketer myself, you know, I think the wow is in the data and the insights and and the time and the money that goes into that. You you get paid back um, in dividends. And I think that the fact that you you know, as you say, that you get that stakeholder buy-in as oh wow, that's the real value of marketing. Whereas too often, um, I think marketing departments can be seen as as sort of almost like um, production content factories. Um, and it's our output that is is being measured. And I love the fact that you know you've put the heart on the value. It's almost like oh, we have to do the content rather than there are lots of marketers out there who um, perhaps don't spend so much time, effort, and resource on the on the insight side. So I think that's a great takeaway from this session. Yeah, and I think that maybe that's an advantage. I've worked on the front line of the business before moving into marketing, so. I think that's one of the advantages I perhaps had coming into it is that I, I could, after six months, have, have turned around to our business and say, I've looked, uh, I've, I've considered, and, and this marketing stuff isn't all what it's cracked up to be. I don't think we should do this. Um, but I also have the, the ability to really say, what is the value to our business and just concentrate on those small pieces uh, in, in, the first, in the first run at this. So... Um, and that's where I see the insights. It, it's, it's the ability to deliver a piece of information that changes our pricing approach to a customer, or it changes the way we actually enter a meeting and talk to a specific person. Um, that's where I get the feedback that, that this was worth all the effort. Um, and it is, you, you can see it when it takes place um, and the reactions both from our frontline but also customers. Uh, uh, experiencing things for the first time from us or seeing a different face of mass drilling than the one they've seen before. I think that's really interesting is that you, you raised that point which with obviously within account-based marketing or some people are starting to talk about account-based everything, it's quite ambitious, um, is as you say that 
when the, the, the recipient, the customer or the prospective client sees something that, that they really relate to. And again, you know, that's where you bring the insight to life. And I know um, there's a project that, that you're working on. I'm not sure quite how much whether you can talk about it, but actually the challenge that we have today um, with being working from home and obviously you've got big physical rigs and really important normally, I know that you have lots of um, your customer stakeholders who go and visit these rigs um, I believe that you've got an innovative new way that uh, you're bringing to your customers so they can experience it in a different way sure and I, I, I guess COVID has made us all um, stop a little bit and think and, and I think for, for us it was maybe a couple of weeks ago where we just stopped up and, and, and it was actually someone in my team who said hey we, we better dust off this old uh, marketing material about um, how we reactivate our rigs, so how we bring our rigs back to market when they've not been working for a while. Uh, and that just made me realize, hang on a minute, has our customer journey just completely changed? Um, the way we normally get people to experience our rigs, they can't do that. Our customer usually will fly to a rig and inspect it physically. They, they can't do that. We will generally fly to them uh, visit their offices and, and take them through a, a 3D animation of, of our rigs. We can't do that. Uh, we generally share a lot of documentation in Showpad uh, with customers, but I can see that that's usually shared after we've met with them. We can't do that. So our Showpad statistics are dropping off a cliff right now because people are not used to um, sharing things without a physical trigger. Uh, so. I think a lot has changed and it, it was a little bit of a wall moment for me a week and a half ago where, where we need to stop and consider how do we deliver the same same kind of experience but without physical meetings and, and that is something we're working on hard hard at the moment to to do virtual virtual rig tours uh, and virtual experiences uh, with customers uh, to try to keep that personal touch I think that's absolutely fascinating. I mean, we've all had to learn very rapidly um, new technology, and and I spent the last two days moderating uh, a, a conference in in the states. Should have been in the states. Was in Chicago, um, a very late night as a result last night. But um, you know, this new technology was a theme that came through about everybody thinking and reimagining their customer journeys and and what new ways can you do things. Um, we have to do virtual conferences now rather than go in person. I think that understanding of you can't physically fly to a rig, how do you bring it to them, can be very exciting and potentially might might change things forever because the cost of visiting rigs obviously must be huge. Um, so I would imagine that you might have a, a very exciting campaign on your hand when you, you get your virtual rig live yep. and start to share it. Well, it makes it, it makes it scalable as well, and I think it, it forces you to think in, in a different way. We, we've never thought we needed scale. Uh, if a customer wants to visit a rig, then they must for sure be very interested, uh, and, and therefore we will take them to that rig and escort them around and so on. But the byproduct of doing it digitally is we still have those customers who are super interested, but, but then you do have a virtual journey, a digital experience which you can offer to customers that are in completely different stages of their buying process uh, and, and maybe don't even need a rig right now but just want to experience one. So 
um, it, it gets very interesting when you can create a customer experience for one purpose, but from a value perspective, you can already see the satellite possibilities of it and how you can tweak it slightly, but, but get a lot more value from, from doing it as well. I think that point about scalability is fantastic and particularly you know I would imagine that you maybe only got two or three people visit um, a rig from a major customer but now you can send that virtual rig in effect to their board um, and really sort of surprise and delight and whilst they might not be the engineers you know making the final decision um, the fact that they can have an experience too, particularly within this whole account-based approach, um, is super exciting. Yeah, and also going back to insights, of course. I mean, if you if you supply these tours um, either via via microsites or apps, um, you can watch how it spreads. Before we would give a physical tour to to real people, and and they may go back and tell their colleague, "Hey, I've just been offshore." Uh, and inspected this rig and it looked great and, and here's one or two photographs. Um, now we will be able to watch the spread through that customer organization of the tour as it's shared via app or um, through logons to microsites and so on. So again, when it comes to the value for money, uh, it, it is of course to give the customer a different experience completely, but also get that value of passing on those detailed insights about, okay, here's a new person we don't know who now knows what a mesh rig looks like. Uh, how can we how can we use that insight to to build a relationship or to, to build an even uh, stickier stickier process with, with that customer uh, that, that builds loyalty before we've even physically met them sometimes? I think that sort of pass along factor is really powerful and as you say broadening and deepening that relationship within an account and one of the tips I heard yesterday which I'll pass on to you Phil was that actually it's not just about um, the number of people that you're touching as you say that sort of viral excuse the use of that word at the current time but approach but um, the time that they spend and one of the KPIs uh, I saw a case study on was actually the the amount of time that um, that was spent in total um, looking at this new form of content and actually they they measured that as a key engagement factor so not just how many people we reached but if you added up cumulatively with an organization you know can end up being hours, days, longer than even, you know, your normal hours sales meeting. So that's quite an interesting KPI, um, the amount of engagement and the time. It's certainly, yeah, and, and we've talked about this before, Shane, and, and our use of Showpad, but we've had experiences where we've shared two, two different value propositions to customers uh, on Showpad and, and seen seen one being looked at for 22 and a half hours and, and passed around multiple stakeholders uh, in a business and the other one uh, being looked at for a handful of minutes um, and, and yet the customer feedback on the phone is that they're interested in both um, and I think that's where the, the time looked is, is of course a valuable KPI um, for, for the quality of the content but it's, it's a key key insight when you are looking at a small number of customers and you can you can basically tell your account manager whether the whether the feedback they're getting from a customer is accurate or inaccurate so um, i can only echo kind of the yeah the value of, of having that uh that level of detailed insight as well
I love that because there's, there's lots of you know, chat in our industry about intent data at the moment. It's a very hot topic, but actually, to me, that's a, the best explanation between you know not not all intent is is equal, and the massive difference between your first party data of a customer spending 22 hours versus a couple of minutes. And as you say, knowing that and having a a very engaged conversation off the back of that, and even what you might choose to send them next, or how you might price things, very exciting. Yeah. And just before we sort of wrap up um, um, today, I'm really interested because one of the things that you also told me, I feel in addition to all your um, responsibilities in terms of marketing, you, you were given an additional task, um, which was to to run, a, if you like, the crisis project team for the pandemic. And I, I think it's interesting to just explore with your marketing hat on how you've been able to bring that lens to, to the crisis planning that you've had to go through. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, I was lucky it wasn't the crisis team because they had to work far too many hours a day. Uh, <laughs> so so we, we had a separate crisis team, but I was asked to head up the, our strategic response, uh, essentially, to, to COVID. And uh, I've had a separate team uh, pulled from around the organization running on that for, for 10 or 11 weeks. Uh, and we were essentially asked to... Um, look at how COVID could could impact our business from three weeks out up to, to six months out. And of course, that six months is, is too optimistic. So we're now looking 18 months ahead. Um, and when I mentioned it to, to you, Shane, it was really in the context of saying to you that, that again, my learnings from marketing is, is really mostly around the capabilities that sit within marketing. And, and it's not just by doing marketing that we can add the greatest value to the business. Uh, so long as the business understands what capabilities we have. Um, and when I was asked to head up the strategic response and, and, th and I thought to myself, well, what do I need to know? Uh, I need to know how will COVID be impacting all of our key countries uh, in six months time, 12 months time, 18 months time. It immediately struck me, well, well, I need research, uh, and who better to do research than, than our ABM agency transmission? They're, they're fantastic at it. Uh, what else do I need? I need a clear dashboard that can show me uh, data patterns, uh, outlooks, prognoses. Um, who else can build that better than an ABM marketing uh, company? Um, what else do I need? Well. I need the ability to to quickly change uh, change the data, to change the input, to change the research, uh, and come up with some very clear recommendations. Uh, and if you if you have the first two, if you have research and a great dashboard, then then we could quickly summarize the impact for the business. Um, so I, I think again, the business looked a wee, a wee bit odd at me uh, when I said I know how to fix this, uh, and it's, it's using marketing capabilities, but. Um, for me, it was a clear way to go, and I think 18 months ago, I, w I would not have done that. I would have gone about it a completely different way. Um, so I think some, sometimes I, I, I see, I've been to conferences where, with marketers, where they say, well, the business doesn't understand me, and, and, and I would just challenge, challenge ourselves to get out into the business and, and, and make them understand, and, and heading the COVID strategy. Uh, for mass bidding, uh, and that task force has has been a perfect forum to say, hey, this is this is core of marketing. There will be no there will be no content, and there will be no campaign, but there sure as hell will be a lot of insights. Uh, and by the way, 
the depth of understanding that we have of COVID through these tools and through these methodologies, you don't realize it, but this is the depth of insight we have on our customers using exactly the same technique. Uh, and that is a very strong value proposition in a completely different context, uh, but, but one that's been uh, absorbed, at least in the, in the business that I work for. Really fascinating stuff, Shane. Um, it, so interesting to hear from somebody that embeds really deep insight into what they're doing. So not just surface level or even potentially subjectivity that creeps into so much marketing, but Phil's thoughts on on the duality, if you will. So that really clever technique of giving that client or that prospect the virtual tour, the technology that they can then share around that business. And of course, the brilliant bit under the surface is the insight that that gives back to Phil and his team is where is that going? How's it being consumed? Who's using it that may well help for lots of different purposes from sales and a marketing point of view as well. And I think the standout for me is that that confidence that that insight is valuable to the board. And it was like, it's so obvious when somebody else points it out, but sometimes I think we, we perhaps keep some of our skills and our outputs too close to ourselves. And I think that lesson that we really should know our customers brilliantly, whether it's data, whether it's market research, um, whether it's insight from all sorts of the new technology, um, such as intent and others, but we should be better at sharing this. So I think we have got a bit of a job as marketeers to do a better job of marketing our outputs and what we can do for the whole business. That was my big takeaway. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually. Intent um, is the word that came to mind when he was talking about that that technology and using that platform to share the, vir the virtual tours. It, I mean, that's intent on steroids, isn't it? I, I'm yet to be convinced, I have to say, of intent data as a, as a movement. I can see there's positives for sure. But that kind of thing, that really tells you intent. If someone's going to watch your virtual tour for hours as a business, that's incredibly strong for you. Um, and I think your point's very very relevant into our first part of the discussion is that what he's demonstrating there is that value of marketing rather than navel gazing and being um, lacking in confidence in a crisis is look this is a chance for us to show the discipline of, of marketing of b2b marketing and what we are very good at doing and how that can be useful across a wider arc of the business than perhaps we're given credit I agree. And I think that was one of the big takeaways that I had from last week from the US is that this understanding and we've known it for a long time and, you know, I'm passionate about data, but all data is not equal. And the difference between first party, i.e. your own intent data, what your customers are telling you at the touch points that you own, not the ones you're buying in. And that came out as a big theme last week. And I think there's a lot more along the customer experience journeys and you and I have done audits whereby that will start to be used to drive all sorts of business decisions not in the way that it's being used at the moment. Mm, yeah very good point and actually back to an earlier thread today on that technology versus human piece so as I've said there's been a digital um, spectrum change but the, the that first party intent data can come from humans so effectively as well if you are, as we've said, often grasping with how do we keep the customers we've got if we can't find new ones, and we've got lots of different parts of the business, not just sales and marketing, 
that are engaging with them at the moment how do we capture that because a human that can tell us well this i had this conversation with this customer today it's maybe an engineer or servicing or support that's really really important valuable for mining versus as you say that much broader less high quality third party that data that we can pull in i agree and i think that the peer-to-peer um, information that's being shared you know is your board talking to other boards about their shared problems you know are they sharing it with you in the marketing team that's the sort of thing I want to know uh, and I completely agree with you it's the anecdotal conversations that are happening on zoom but they're not happening uh, at the water cooler there was a brilliant brilliant article by um, Scott Stockwell who's another marketer who I really admire editor-in-chief at IBM on um, his blog on LinkedIn talking about exactly this point you know where where are your current water cooler moments and and how can you capture them mm, yeah it's a really good point actually and it reminds me the admiring of marketeers Graham Wiley who's um, VP of marketing international ADP the payroll company if you ask me coldly to say, Steve, who do you admire? Graham would be top of my list for the last 10 years. Um, and, and what he embodies is, and I've never seen Graham in a meeting without a whiteboard pen and a whiteboard and this very rapid, agile problem solving. So he and his team there and wherever he's been, the people I admire, have, okay, it's almost problem solving as business as usual. Um, how do we collaborate? How do we build things together? And as you say, if the board of any organization is struggling to solve problems, good marketers have having to be solving problems anyway. So why can't our almost consultative uh, aspects of marketing be used and just pivoted into, oops, there's that word again, into completely different problems that the business may be, may be wrestling with? Yeah, absolutely. I think that problem solving, um, working with teams, in fact, again, Scott leads amazing sessions using design thinking, the five whys. Um, so we must get him on. That That's now on my list to, to ask him. Absolutely agree. Yes, um, indeed. So he would be great. Graham would be fantastic. And um, somebody else who comes to mind, uh, Andrew Colwell, who also, you know, takes this sort of consultative led approach into the companies he's worked with so um, lots more people that we should be talking to and sharing their wisdom indeed and even people that we should continue to check in with that we've already spoken with so just again as, as what you were saying around that positivity around marketing paul cash who we talked to earlier on in this series uh, around b2b and, and storytelling and emotion I, he really bangs the drum for being proud of B2B marketing rather than us being very negative and, and shy and withdrawn about the career or the industry. Paul, I think he's writing a book on the subject as well, Shane. So, you know, someone like Paul, who from that angle is really trying to champion things, is only good for us all collectively, I'm sure. Absolutely. And sharing more wonderful stories. I think that whole storytelling that he talked about, um, I sent in one where I saw um, a client of mine had been sent a wonderful um, baby shower um, gifts after having quite a tough time um, going into labour in COVID and all the rest of it. And the, it was from um, from Salesforce and she got a very good relationship with the team there because she's part of their, she does testing and things at the company she works with. And I thought it was just a really nice human touch um, which she shared on social media about how lovely it was, you know, one of the companies she worked with um, to send a gift. You know, it's it's those stories we want to hear more of the B2B giving back, really. 
yeah it's the it's the human part of that and actually shane is it worth just talking about our friends ernest and what they did last week at um your b2b um ignite in chicago absolutely deserves a massive shout out um because the event went uh virtual and we should have all been there in person um there was a realization i think from chris wilson and the team that actually you know the money that would have been expenses and all the rest of it um perhaps there was a better cause it could go to so they chose the chicago charity that's helping the homeless people who haven't got access to food supplies um, because Chicago has been very hard hit by COVID. And they had that on their booth, their virtual booth, uh, as a donation page that all of the, I think it was around 1,000 attendees in the end, could visit the booth and donate to. And I just thought, how brilliant is that? That really is giving back in, in the true sense. Yeah, bravo to them. Really, really nice way of, of, of doing something valuable. Really, really nice. Well, it, that seems like a really nice place, a positive place to leave it for the day, Shane, perhaps, is that, um, you know, it's not, we started with navel gazing and fear, but we're seeing all sorts of positives that, uh, you know, it's not all doom and gloom by any stretch of the imagination. I agree. Always good to end on a positive. Absolutely. We'll end it there. And that, my friends, is episode 11. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, everybody. We'll speak to you soon. <laughs>